the attributes of God and our relationship to him. So if you guys can please turn in your Bibles actually to Psalm 139. We're going to be reading through the entire chapter in chunks. Usually, usually I like to read, you know, that the main passage of scripture that I'm going to be going through. Usually I'll read it one time through, but today we're going to read it in chunks as I go through my points. But I just want to highlight some things about it. You know, this was one of the first chapters of Psalms that I fell in love with after I got saved. How many of you guys love Psalm 139? I mean, isn't it one of your go-tos? He created us. He formed us in our mother's womb. He's, he knows our thoughts before we think them. Um, it has such a powerful perspective of our value as well as God's divinity, who he is. And we are literally reading King David's journal entry. So many of the Psalms that we read are, are giving us a window into David's devotional life, David's journals and how he would cry out to God and his understanding of who God was and who he was and the connection and, and you know, the relationship between that. And so he understood God's attributes. And all throughout scripture, God's attributes are revealed to us and and I want to challenge you as we, you know, learn some of the attributes today. And I know that you've probably took a class about all about the attributes of, attributes of God, which is what, like, systematic theology one, right? Let us be mindful as we're reading the Bible, that the Bible come alive in our hearts and minds as we're, you know, pressing in and, and hearing what God says to us. Let us be mindful that God is revealing himself to us in all the passages of Scripture that we read from Old Testament to New Testament. And so as we go through this chapter, Psalm 139, I will draw attention, like I said, to God's attributes and how intricately involved he is with us in our everyday lives. And I think sometimes we take it for granted and we're not really stopping and pausing to pay attention. But if we make time, uh, you know, every day to really commune with the Lord in our devotion and read in our devotional time and read the Bible and pray and meditate, and have a time of silence, and, and just pray, and reflect, you will become more sensitive to his presence, to his nearness, and every aspect of your life. Please do not think that anything that you do in life is mundane, or is purposeless. Everything you do in life, from waking up, and how in order your life is, and you know, cleaning your house, you know, waking up, getting ready for work. He has he is intricately involved in all of that. And nothing that we do in this life should be wasted. No task, no responsibility, no time even of playing, of vacation. He cares about our rest. He cares that we want to go on vacation. Nothing is wasted. Why? Because he is um he is omniscient, he is omnipresent, he is there, he knows us, he's present, and all of that. So I do I do want to say. Um, you know, if we took this chapter and read it and applied it so often in our lives, you know, I, um, I almost really got convicted preparing this message because I feel like I should read this chapter with my children a lot more often, if not every day before homeschool. If this chapter was read every day out loud or recited in our schools, if we've taught it in our homes, we would probably not be facing many of the problems that we are facing today. Our children don't know who God is, and therefore they have no idea who they are. This generation has no understanding of God, his deity, and his role in their life. They deny that he is the creator, and so in turn, they deny that we were even created in love and to be loved. 
And when you minus all of that, there is mass confusion in our generation because the devil has purposefully taken that knowledge, taken that teaching out of our school system so that he can bring confusion because he is the author of confusion. And when you detract and take God out of the equation of everything that we do and stem from, you have nothing left. There is no foundation, so anything goes. So I want to give you some stats really quick about the generations over the time here in America specifically. The generation that we are currently in with our young people is Gen Z. Those are the ones that were born from, and of course, I deleted it here. I had it, I copied and pasted it. They are from 1998, 1999 to present, like 1999 to 2015. Uh, most of my children are Gen Z. Some of you youngins, how many of you guys were born 1999 and after? Wow. You guys are Gen Z, just like the youth that you're leading on Fridays. They are all Gen Z. 4% of your generation have a biblical worldview. Now let's go up to the high. Well, we'll, we'll move our way up. The next one before you guys are the millennials, born from 1984 to 1998. 6% of them have a biblical worldview. Gen X, which is the bracket that I fall in, Joe falls in, 1965 to 1984. I made that bracket by two years. 7% of Gen X has a biblical worldview. And the boomers, which are our older folk, 1946 to 1965, 10% of them have a biblical worldview. So in total, if you were to add all of this up, that is 27% of the generations that are alive today have a biblical worldview. We are not a Christian nation. 27%. So let's get into the unique attributes of God. I'm not going to really expound on them in great detail, but I do want to cover all of them. So let's pray before we get into it. I really want to just have ears to hear what God has to teach us this morning and to, to reveal himself to us in a deeper way. So God, we just thank you for this chapel service. God, we thank you for your presence that is always with us. We thank you, Lord, for showing up in our lives at every moment. And as we begin to dissect this chapter of Psalm 139, I pray that you will open our eyes, that you will open our ears to hear you, help us to feel you and embrace you in a new way. And I pray, Lord, as we learn about who you are, I pray that it will become so alive in our hearts as we read scripture and talk about you and interact with you and each other. And as we build your church, God, may we know that you are real, that you are there, that you are present. And I just pray that you have your way in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first attribute that we're going to discuss is that God is omnipresent. God knows everything. He possesses complete and perfect knowledge of all things. He knows our actions and our thoughts. And this is one of the attributes that is very uh, highly detailed in Psalm 139. He is omniscient. He knows it all. Number two. I'm sorry, that was omnipresent. I read, I read, let's start from the beginning. Number one, omnipresent. God is present everywhere at the same time. He sees and is aware of everything that we do. He is omnipresent. Everywhere we go, everywhere we turn, whatever we're doing, he is there. He can be at he can be everywhere in the in the planet, right? At the same time. He is omnipresent. Number two, omniscient. 
God knows everything. He possesses complete and perfect knowledge of all things. He knows our actions and our thoughts. He is not comparable to us. He is infinite and we are finite. Number three, omnipotent. God is all-powerful and he has the highest authority over all things and all creatures. Four, he is transcendent. God is different and independent from his creation. The essence of his being and existence are greater and higher above and beyond anything he has created. He himself is uncreated. He exists apart from his creation, and yet he is still capable of living among us and interacting with us on a personal level. What a mighty God we serve. He is transcendent. He doesn't need us to exist, but we need him to exist. Five, he is eternal. God has no beginning and no end. There was never a time, either in the past or in the future, when God did not or will not exist. That is mind-blowing. So many times this thought comes into my, to my mind, and oftentimes even in conversations with our kids, it's like, how in the world did God always exist? Like, how is he always there? You go, you go down that thought, it's like really mind-blowing sometimes. I can't wrap my brain around it, and I just kind of leave it to, I believe you exist, I believe you're there, and that, that settles it. You know what I'm saying? It's like really, he's always existed, guys. He is eternal. There is no beginning or no end to him. He is not bound by human time. He chose to describe himself with the title, I am. He is the great I am. He's always been there. He will always be. We cannot do away with him. This generation and all of their filthy wickedness and rebellion against God, they could flick him off. They can, they can do whatever they want. They, they crowned him with a you know, crown of thorns. They could do whatever they want. They can never get rid of God. And they will eventually discover that at the end, right? So he chose to describe himself with the title, I am, expressing a continual, infinite, endless, eternal existence. Number six, he is unchangeable. This means there is no change in God's attributes, in his perfection, or in his purpose for humankind. There's a lot more that can go into that, um, but let's just leave it at that. He is not a man that he should lie. He doesn't change his mind, although there are times where, where through our intercession, he chooses to, to do something differently, but in his nature and his attribute of who he is, he is unchangeable. He'll never change his standard of morality. He'll never change his standard of salvation and what we have to do to be saved. Amen? Seven, he is perfect and holy. God is pure and complete in character, totally without sin, and absolutely right in everything he thinks and does. Eight, he is triune, which means three in one. That means he is one God, a single being, who has revealed himself in three distinct but interrelated and completely unified persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Look to your neighbor and say, that's my God. That is the God we serve. He is perfect. He is unchangeable. He is eternal. He is transcendent. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient, and he is omnipresent. And he is a triune God, and he has chosen to reveal himself to us in a special way. And he continues to choose to be active in our everyday life. Are you guys ready to read Psalm 139? Let's read verses 1 through 6. The first point is God knows you. All right? Psalm 139, 1 through 6. You have searched me, Lord, 
and you know me. You, you know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, you, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. He knows when we wake up. He knows when we go to sleep. He knows your thoughts when they are far away, basically before you even think them. Making it practical as a parent, oftentimes when I have to deal with my children in different circumstances, it's like I already know the attitude that they're going to have and the response that they're going to say. I already know what they're thinking, and I almost call them out on it while they're thinking it. But I am not God. So my understanding and knowledge of their reactions is limited. But we have a God who is divine, and he is not finite like we are. So if I, with a short glimpse of understanding, can kind of perceive the direction that my child may go in or kind of remember the last time how they had an outburst and probably have an outburst like right now in this second, like Titus, like he is just seconds away from a tantrum, seconds away of blowing a fuse. It's like, I know it's coming. How much more does God know us, see us, understand what we're going to say? He knows thoughts that we're going to think before we even think them and the words that will come out of our mouth before we even say them. He sees right through us, guys. He knows when you're working, when you're playing, when you're resting. He watches over you as you're preaching the gospel on the streets, and he cares. He is very present when we're preaching the gospel. He is very, very near. He knows everything in your heart. He knows everything that you want to do. The reason why you even have dreams and aspirations and a vision for your life is because you were created in the image of God. It's not only believers that have creativity and vision and all of that. All, a lot of these things that were created, like just think of the Apple phone, for example. This wasn't a Christian who invented this. But why was he able to? Because he was created in the image of God and has a mind to, to be able to do this because it was a gift from the Lord. So when I read this passage of scripture, I can't help but think about the awesomeness of God. He knows everything I do and everywhere I go, and I think that is so amazing. And at the same time, it also puts the fear of God in me. Why? Because we can look so cute and put together on the outside, right? But we really can't read each other's minds. So you can say one thing to me but be thinking something else. And we can do that with each other and put on a facade, but we cannot put on a facade with God. Oftentimes out of habit when we're asked, how are you? We do that all the time on Sundays. How are you? It's just kind of like saying greetings, you know? It's how are you? But if if but in in passing, it's kind of like become a greeting. So it's not the same of like we're sitting down and really like in a counseling session, like, how are you doing? And then the tears start to flow. So in habit, we just ask each other, how are you? And we quickly respond, I'm good. But really, you're not good. Really, there's so much going on. And it's because it's, it was just a hi, how are you? We just kind of, you know, say that I'm good out of habit. When all reality, there are times where you may not even be able to put the words together that, that you're feeling. But see, God knows, God knows that. And that's why it's so important that we come to him every single day and that we don't try to hide stuff, that we don't try to be fake. 
or be something that we're really not. Why? Because God knows you already. He knows the thoughts that you're thinking. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. He sees when you're getting up. He sees when you're going to sleep. He sees if you're really living pure. He sees your temptations. And you can't, there's nothing, nowhere you can go where he does not know that you're there or know that you're feeling it. Psalm 17, 3. Though you probe my heart, though you examine me at night and test me, you will find that I have planned no evil. My mouth has not transgressed. May that be all of our, guy, all of our confessions. Job 31.4, does he not see my ways and count my every step? So powerful. Job 42, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. We cannot outdo God. We cannot know more than God. We cannot argue our way through with God. His plans are eternal. His purposes cannot be thwarted with our arguments. The nearness of his presence should always uh, cause us to live above reproach. The fact that he knows you that well should always put the fear of God in you to watch your words, to watch your attitude, to watch your conversations, to watch how you're living in your marriages, with your children, with your friendships and family members. Let's remain humble before a holy God and remember that he knows us and desires that we know him too. Amen. Number two, Psalm 139 verses 7 through 12, you can't hide from God. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Kind of reminds me of Jonah. I tried to run away. He found him on the sea, right? If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Guys, it doesn't matter how dark of a season that we will ever walk through, it will still be as light when you stay close to him. It can, it can be something that we experienced as a church this last season that felt so dark and so black and so like unredemptive in so many ways, but Jesus' light was still shining. You cannot do anything that will hide you from God. We cannot experience any type of a valley or mountaintop that God will not be there. Your troubles can't hide you from God. Your pain cannot hide you from God. And guys, life will be painful. We will experience loss. Not everything in this life is going to be easy. But he promised that he will be with us. He didn't promise an easy life because we're being a Christian. He promised a victorious life because we're a Christian. Your worries can't hide you from God. Your sin can't hide you from God. Your loss can't hide you. Your attitude can't hide you. Being persecuted for your faith doesn't mean you're hidden from God. How lonely, how dark do you think it feels to be in those countries where they cannot be that expressive of their relationship with God? They cannot be out in the open. Do you feel do you, do you feel how dark and lonely that can be? And yet they are probably the most victorious, the most joyful believers on the planet today. 
because they can't go anywhere and hide from his presence. They feel and know his nearness. Nothing in this world and nobody in this world can hide you from God. You yourself cannot hide yourself from God. It's only the devil that will try to convince you that God isn't there for you and that he's forgotten about you. There is such a discouraging narrative that surrounds ministry and ministers today. And the fact that giving your life for the gospel is just such a burden, you know. I want to let you guys be reminded today that there is no greater thing to do. There is nothing greater than fulfilling God's call upon your life. Nothing greater than answering the call to ministry. With that said, I want you to always guard your heart towards these types of feelings and thoughts and be reminded that God is with you and that he is for you and that he knows you and that you can't hide from him. No matter what obstacle you may face in the future, planting a church, uh, running a children's ministry, evangelizing, whatever ministry, whatever thing you will be doing, whether it's on the mission field, I want you to know that God is for you, he is with you, and you are not. your destiny is not to be discouraged and to run away from doing the ministry one day. Do you guys understand? There are so much discouragement. There are so many things out of order in our understanding of church government and leadership, no discipleship, no training, but you guys know better not around these here parts. We understand to the best of our ability what it means to answer the call, to fulfill the call, to be accountable, to pursue discipleship, to set things order in the church. Amen? I want to give you guys some, um, some stats here on clergy. And I know you've heard a lot of these before, but it is very disheartening to see ministers and churches experience what they are experiencing uh, on a daily basis in our country. This is coming from shepherdswatchmen.com. This is uh, a stat taken by George Barna and the Fuller Institute. This was back in 2019. 1,500 clergy leaving pastoral ministry each month. 61% of congregations have forced a pastor to leave. 83% of clergy spouses want their spouse to leave ministry. 90% of clergy in all denominations will not stay in ministry long enough to reach the age of retirement. There is not a lot of longevity. There isn't a lot of people, you know, running to the gate of, I want to be in ministry. I, read, I can't find it right now because I don't have them in order like to, the, to how I read them the other day. But there's a certain percentage um, of churches that actually can't fill their pastoral vacancy. There are so many churches vacant without a pastor. One out of ten ministers will actually retire as a minister in some form. Only one out of ten. Fifty percent of the ministers starting out will not last five years. Five years as a church planner, five years in the ministry, five years of anything pursuing God's call is huge, huge. Now take inventory of your life with everything that we've talked about so far in this message. What is it going to take for you to understand how intricately involved God is in your life and to, to see that and to show you how you can have longevity in the ministry? Because the devil wants to take you out. The devil does not want you to have longevity in the ministry let alone in your walk with God. But if he could take you out of his call, if he could take you out of the ministry, well, then he's done half of his job because it's not going to take much longer after that to see your connection in your calling to your walk with God. That can dwindle very easily after that. 
please know that God knows you, he cares, and you cannot hide from him. And my heart breaks for statistics like this in our day and age because it should not be, guys. It should not be. We serve an awesome God. We serve a mighty God. And we have to learn how to guard our hearts. We have to learn how to guard our lives. We have to fear the Lord. We have to love holiness. We have to hate sin with a passion. Jeremiah 23, 24, who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Daniel 2, 22, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. Proverbs 15, 11, death and destruction lie open before the Lord. How much more do human hearts, wow, human hearts lie open open before the Lord. He, he knows all of our hearts, all of humanity. Every single person on this planet is laid bare and open before a holy God. Psalm 139, 13 through 16, point number three, God created you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How amazing is that? Don't ever think that God does not have a special plan for your life. Do not let the enemy come in at any stage and try to question your purpose, try to question your identity. Guys, as ministers, as disciples, if you get off track on your identity in Christ and that he created you and that he loves you and that he has a purpose, you will have struggles in ministry. You will have struggles being a leader because you understanding your identity, knowing that he created you, knowing that he formed you, knowing that, that he has ordained days for you, God, the enemy wants to cut that off from your understanding so that you can be in confusion and be distraught and be discouraged at every turn. Over the years, when we have people struggling to be leaders, one of the main roots, the foundational issues, is that they do not understand their identity. Your identity is to be holy. You are a chosen priesthood, a chosen generation, set apart to do God's work. You were created perfectly and wonderfully. Everything that you need for life and godliness has been given to you. Do not question your identity. Let that be the foundation. Teach the disciples in your life that foundational truth. Amen. We live in a generation of confusion. We do not need confusion in the pulpit. We do not need a generation of ministers in confusion. And sadly, we have them. Sadly, that's what's happening. People doubt God's existence. They doubt their own existence. They do not believe today that a fetus in the womb is a living human child. They don't believe gender is assigned at birth. They want to assign their own gender to a child. What nonsense is that? They're teaching our children just about everything under the sun, the most utter nonsense. But do you dare teach them about God? Try dare teaching them Psalm 139, the passage that we just read, that God created you, that he formed you in the womb. You preach that at Planned Parenthood and you see the, de the demons coming out of people's faces. Seriously, you tell those workers, what are those people called, Lauren, that work at abortion clinics? 
the people out on the streets, the escorts, tell the escort people that that human child, that that is a human child in the womb, and they will curse you out. They have so much anger. Don't you dare teach your fairy tales, your Bible fairy tales in schools, right? And yet they're the ones playing make-believe. From 1973 to 2017, we have murdered more than 60 million babies. That is 10 times the amount of Jews killed in the Holocaust. 60 million. I do not think we even grasp, grasp the bloodshed, grasp the blood that is on our hands and as, as a nation. And I believe that other countries like China that might be double, maybe tr close to triple that amount. That's just America. And I believe other countries, especially with China's one-child rule and all that, brutal, brutal. The hands of the innocent are over the nations. And you think God is not going to come back with a mouth coming out of his sword? You don't think he's coming back to judge the nations for that wickedness? Psalm 119.73, your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. Isaiah 44.24, this is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer who formed you in the womb, I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. Whoo, we serve an awesome God. We cannot, we cannot think that our society, our generation, our children right now will have a healthy understanding of who they are when we tell them that babies in the womb can be slaughtered. There's, there's no coincidence that we have murdered that many from, 19, from the 1970s till now because I believe that's the decade we took Bible reading out of our school. So much happened in that decade that has declined in our understanding of God that has declined our understanding of a biblical worldview. Let's read the rest of Psalms. The last three points, I'm going to combine them after we read this passage of Scripture. Psalm 139, 17 through 24. Let's finish it off. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only, God, you would slay the wicked. Away from me, you bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Those last two verses should be our prayer every single day. Let's read it again. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Point number four, God's thoughts are so great. Coming from verses 17 through 20. The fact that we serve an eternal God shows his awesome power and glory. And the thoughts that he thinks are higher. His thoughts are higher than ours. His ways are higher than our ways. 
Psalm 40, verse 5 says, Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. The things he plans for us when we're following his will and in his uh, plan for our lives when we're staying the course. There is not one thing that God wouldn't want to do for you. Not one thing that he wouldn't want to see you fulfill for his glory. When our desires, when our dreams, when our passions are aligned with God's will, I do not believe there's any end in sight. He wants to reveal his glory to us. He wants his plans and purposes for our lives to come to fruition. The only one that doesn't is the enemy. And when we partner with him and give him a footstool, a foothold in our life, then they get, they get uh, torn down. The paths that God has for us get, get messed up. But we have to stay the course. Let's keep reading in Psalm 40, verse 5. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Isn't that amazing? That I think this was David probably in Psalm 40. I know they, there's so many different writers. But it's amazing how in those times they understood the attributes of God. They didn't have Bible seminaries. They didn't have any of that stuff back then. God revealed himself in powerful ways, and they understood who he was. Isaiah 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. If you want God's thoughts in your life, you need to find quiet time so that you could hear his thoughts for you. Because you will hear three voices in your life, in your mind. It's going to be God's voice, the enemy's voice, or your voice. And all of those voices come to us in our thoughts. And you have to be able to discern which thoughts are God's thoughts, which ones are from your flesh, and which ones are from the enemy. And the only way you will be able to discern that is when you hide yourself in his word daily. You have to know the word of God. You have to know who he is and who he has revealed himself to be all throughout scripture to understand God's thoughts for you. And God's thoughts for you are great. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. There is so much that God wants to reveal to you about your future ministry, so many things he wants to reveal to you about your marriage, so many things he wants to reveal to you about parenting, so much wisdom he wants to reveal to you about what's going on in our society, what's happening in our city. We have to call out to him and he will answer us. Position yourself to hear the thoughts of God. He is always speaking. He is always interceding. He is always wanting to talk to us. Amen? Whew, God is so good. Psalm 139, verses 21 through 22, point number five, you should hate what God hates and desire justice. David is expressing his desire for God here to make all the wrong right and to establish his righteousness on the earth. If we go back to verse 21 and 22, you can hear how fired up David is about the wicked man. Like, do I not hate those who hate you, God? And I abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. They are my enemies. Like he was passionate. He was the real deal when it came to wanting to uphold God's righteousness. And in turn, for us today, we have to hate wickedness. We don't hate the sinner. We don't spew our hatred for people. 
we spew our hatred for the sin, right? And we live in a free country, but whether we live in a free country or not does not dictate the truth of God's scripture. God's scripture isn't just true when it's free for us to speak it. We have to, we have to speak it regardless. And so when it comes to upholding his righteousness and preaching against sin and going on the streets and telling people that homosexuality is a sin or that they're going to hell if they're not born again, that's not just because it's our opinion and because we have freedom in this country, we can speak our opinion. It's not our opinion. It's God's truth. It's God's command. It's God's righteousness. And so for us in a generation where wickedness is so rampant, we have to make sure that we, we view it with such a healthy, uh, healthy balance of God's anger and just our fleshly anger because we don't want to be angry with people, right? We want to be angry with the devil. Our flesh, um, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual principalities and heavenly places. And so when it comes to us standing for justice and righteousness and taking a stand against sin, we're not preaching hatred towards the sinner. We're preaching hatred towards the action. And we can be as cute and, and uh, loving as a little puppy dog when we say it, but it doesn't really matter because they don't like what God has to say in his word. So you can be cute and lovely and say it with the most gentlest voice like Malia, okay? Just soft, cute, gentle voice. But you tell somebody they're going to hell on the street, they'll want to flick you off and probably spit in your face because they hate what you just said to them. And it doesn't matter how it came out. You know what I'm saying? Psalm 119, 158. I look on the faithless with loathing, for they do not obey your word. Jude, 4, Jude 14 says, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Can we say the word ungodly anymore in this passage of Scripture? Ungodly, not of God. Everything opposite of God and his attributes and his holiness and his word. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. God is coming to judge the ungodly. Let's have a holy, holy anger against sin in the land. Let's pray. Let's intercede. Let's stand in the gap. Let's do all that stuff that God has called us to do. And never think that it's okay. Never compromise on what that is. Doesn't it remind you so much of what we encounter on the streets? Like, my goodness, all the demons that have just, um, you know, manifested. Logan Square, the Tuesday night evangelism on the streets of Chicago. Like, dear God, you know God is up to something. You know the devil is mad when you put out Mission 77. We're going to preach at every single neighborhood in Chicago. Like, something's about to come, to come uh, from that. Something's about to bust loose. Like, we're, like, militant uh, about reaching all of the neighborhoods in our city with the, with the light of the gospel, where there is darkness, we're bringing lights, the devil's mad. The devil is very, very mad, and he's not hiding it anymore. But you know what? We were made for war. We were made for battle. The violent take it by force. We're going to advance the kingdom of God one way or another 
battling in the heavenlies for the souls of men. And the devil can't stop that. And he knows it. And he knows his time is short. So that's why that word, man, if you guys were in the second service, if you were not, go back and listen to the word that Griselda gave during transition. But it is time. It is time for us to stand up. It is time to guard our heart. It is time to go forward. Because when we're pushing for revival, the enemy is planning his schemes because he will do everything in his power to stop it. He will do everything in his power from seeing 77 neighborhoods in our city evangelized. He will try to prevent it at every cost. But we are wiser we are wiser than serpents, innocent as doves. Amen? Amen? Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24, our last point here. I told you five, right? Yes. Point six, allow God to show you who you are. In the midst of our hatred for sin and wicked deeds that sinners perform, we have to guard our hearts. And that was the, the last two verses that I had us reread. Let's go reread them again. 23 and 24, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You guys have been learning so many nuggies. You have been taught so many things by the leadership here from your classes, all these chapel messages. Don't forget them. That's why when we read in Revelations, you know, the seven churches that we just went through, to one of the churches, I forgot which one it was, it was repent and do the things you did at first. If you ever look back, and man, it's like you're not in love, you're not as in love with Jesus as you were when you first got saved, something's wrong. When you're meeting with Jesus in your devotional time, in your prayer time, take inventory. Learn how to go deep and say, Jesus, bring stuff up in my heart that I don't even know is there. Because that's the only way you're going to safeguard yourself. That's how you have longevity in the ministry. That's how you can say today that you're going to actually live for Jesus and be an on-fire disciple and in ministry for the next 50 years. Those stats that I read to you about all these percentages of people dropping out and all that, they didn't do something. There was things out of order. You can have longevity in the ministry. You can live for Jesus on fire all the days of your life. No matter what season you're in, when you're in the mountain or in the valley, Jesus is still amazing. He is still awesome. He doesn't change. His ways are still better. His thoughts for you will always still be there. Amen? But you have to learn how to filter it because you don't just wake up one morning and say, I don't want to be a part of Metro Praise. You don't just wake up one morning and say, I don't want to live for Jesus. You don't just wake up one morning and say, eh, I don't need to pursue God's call on my life. You don't just wake up one morning and say, I don't want to do ministry. You do things over a course of time that allows the little foxes to spoil the vine. Catch the little foxes, it says in Song of Solomon. Catch the little foxes for us to spoil the vine. Stop letting foxes spoil your vine. Every single day you choose to live for Jesus. Every single day you wake up, you say, Jesus, I'm living for you today on fire, and I declare I'll do it for the next 50 years. Tomorrow you wake up, Jesus, I love you. I want to be on fire for you. I'm going to live for you all the days of my life. I'm going to preach like a woman and man on fire for the next 50 years. Every single day you choose to do that. And it should have never changed by circumstances. You choose every day. Every day you wake up, say, Jesus, I love you. I want to live on fire for you. I want to be accountable. I want to have leaders in my life that I'm going to allow to speak into my life for the next 50 years. 
Every single day, you choose to be humble. Every single day, you choose to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Every single day, you choose to be on fire for Jesus. Every single day, you choose to be a preacher of the gospel because you want to see the lost saved. Every single day, you choose and say, I'm going to believe this word. Come hell or high water. Come loss. Come sickness. Come death. I'm going to believe your word. Your word is true. My senior pastor at the church that I grew up with, I was a little girl. He ended up taking a pastorate at another church, and in that transition time, he lost his wife in a car accident. He had two older boys already in Bible college, and him and his two younger girls, probably six and seven-year-old, were in the car during the accident. The wife died. I remember having our music pastor that ministered with him while he was a senior pastor come back maybe one or two years later and testify about that time and how hard it was. And he testified and said about my pastor, uh, who was the pastor, and he said this, as they were just, you know, going deep, going deep. They were having accountability with each other. They were talking about the deep things of God. They were, um, you know, just thinking probably about God's attributes and how he, and his promises and his word and how he had destined for this couple to do so many great things. And he was just probably having that kind of a, a moment with his pastor friend. And the music pastor that came back and shared the story, he remembers saying that Pastor Paul held up his Bible and he said, either all of it is true or none of it is true. You're either going to believe all of it, all of the time, no matter what, or it's all dung. And which one do you believe? Do you believe today that all of it is true? then it's going to remain true when bad things happen too. It's not going to change. So what are you going to do every day? Every day you choose to live in Jesus. Every day you choose to hide yourself in him. If you can't hide from him, you better hide yourself in him. Amen? Our prayer time should, be, should bring us moments of self-reflection. We should have a deep desire to lay ourselves bare before God because we are already bare before God. But sometimes we don't do that on our own accord. We can have a desire for it, but we actually have to do it and uh, give ourselves an opportunity to hear what he has to say. When was the last time you asked God to examine your heart and check your attitude, and then you actually waited to hear him speak? God's omniscience and omnipresence should put a healthy fear of the Lord in your heart. We must allow the fruit of the Spirit to lead us rather than our flesh. We cannot allow a self-righteous attitude to creep in our hearts. As we're preaching against sin, as we're preaching against the wickedness of our generation, we have to guard our hearts because it doesn't mean we're better than them. We cannot get that mindset into our hearts that, we're, that we think of ourselves highly than we ought to, that we're so much better than other people. As real as you are with God is as real as you will be in your relationship to others. If you're shallow with God, you will be shallow with your friends. If you're not transparent with God, you're not going to be transparent with friends and vice versa. If you're shallow with your friends, I guarantee you your relationship with God is shallow. If you are not transparent in your relationship with your leaders, I guarantee you you are not being transparent in your relationship with God in the quiet time. Come on, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Oh, man, I didn't put where it's coming from. This is Luke, I believe. Uh, just an example of being pompous, being self-righteous. You know, the Pharisee brought attention in his prayer time, like, I just thank you that I'm not like those people. God, I just thank you I'm not like that atheist I just encountered on the street. That is not the attitude we take. We say, dear God, if you didn't save me, I would have been just like him. And then when we have that kind of a heart, it keeps us closer to Jesus and keeps us further and further from the line of compromise. Verse uh, uh, 14 from this parable here. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, the one who uh, looked up to heaven and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
that man went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. If you're struggling with sin and not staying accountable, you need to fix that. You need to come to Jesus and come to your leader. You cannot fake the funk with God. You can't pretend to be something that you're not in the presence of the Lord. If you think you can, it will catch up to you and it will be exposed soon enough. Why? Because we know God sees right through us, right? He knows us. We can't hide from him. Nothing is hidden from his sight. And remember, he knows you better than you know yourself. He exalts the humble and humbles the self-exalted. He exalts the humble and humbles the self-exalted. He resists the proud, guys. He pushes back. He opposes the prideful. But he will always give grace to you in your humility. I want to read to you something disheartening that came up in my uh, Facebook today. Another one bites the dust. Sad to say that. I, don't, I never heard of Paul Maxwell, but this came up uh, in my Facebook newsfeed this morning. And I wanted to share, I thought it was a great closing point. Paul Maxwell was a PhD student at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, where Joe went for some time. And he was also a philosophy professor at Moody. You guys ready to hear what happened to him? Paul Maxwell, a former Desiring God writer, which is kind of like a Christianity Today kind of journal thing. So he wrote for Desiring God, the author of the book, The Trauma of Doctrine, has announced he is no longer a Christian. Yeah, here's, listen to what he says. What I really miss is connection with people. You miss that because you were a Christian? You miss connection with people because you were, you were, you were a Christian living for God and doing all these great things for ministry. You weren't doing something right. What I really miss is connection with people, Maxwell said on his Instagram feed. What I've discovered is that I'm ready to connect again. And I'm kind of ready to not be angry anymore. I love you guys. And I love all the friendships and support I've built here. And I think it's important to say that I'm just not a Christian anymore. And it feels really good. I'm really happy. Wow. Like, wow. I want, I want that gif. Like, yeah, like, wow. Like, how, what, what just happened there? That's what he says. Okay, so let's take this back from the beginning. I really miss connection with people. As a Christian, do you feel like you've ever stopped connecting with people? What is our strategy at this church? Number one, connect. You never lose connection with people. If you do that, you became big-headed, self-righteous, and felt like you were so disconnected from this world, I guarantee you he was not evangelizing or preaching the gospel. God, forgive me if that is not true, but I could only assess and assume from these kinds of words that he was not doing something right. Because when you're preaching the gospel and you're guarding your heart and you have a love for God and people, the two greatest commandments, you don't lose connection with people. When you're genuinely living for God and having him search your heart and wanting to, to see other people saved, when you refresh other people, you get refreshed. So the fact that he lost connection with people was because he probably wasn't refreshing them. And in the process, no matter how they treated him, he would have been refreshed because it's a principle. What I've discovered is that I'm ready to connect again. I'm so glad he's ready to connect again by not being a Christian. How sad. And he's not angry anymore. What was he angry about? That's why we have to guard our heart from anger. When, uh, in our you know, righteous anger, we are not God. 
Okay, so one again, kind of reiterating the point. We are not God in our righteous anger. We have to always filter our thoughts to him. I could go on and on with what he says. Uh, let me just keep reading a little bit more. So he feels really good now and really happy. Do you guys know that that is fake happiness? That is uh, superficial feeling good. That is not real. I can't wait to discover what kind of connection I can have with all of you beautiful people as I try to figure out what's next. I can't wait to have a connection with you now that I don't have to tell you all the time that you're going to hell. I love you guys. I'm in a really good spot. Probably the best spot of my life. I'm so full of joy for the first time. For the first time, he's so full of joy. I love my life. Oh, dear God, Jesus. Sounds like a lot of people that leave church the wrong way, too. Sounds like a lot of people who say, you know what? Eh, I don't need your accountability anymore. You're not my pastor. I feel good. I actually feel so much freedom now that I'm not under your tutelage. Now that I'm not under your leadership, I feel so amazing. Like, I've never experienced this before. I'm so free. So free. Wow. Can I have somebody come up to the keys, please? Jesus, help us. Let's all stand up. Let's give it up for Jesus, guys. Come on. The nonsense, the foolishness, tomfoolery of people. Dear God, have mercy. Guys, do not be a statistic, please. Do, be, do not be the next person on like a Christianity post saying, you, be, you know, you became a good name. Oh, he's not a Christian anymore. Great. That, that is not what God has called us to. Dear God, have mercy. This is, this is the greatest calling and the greatest thing we could ever lay our life down for. When you go from being a professor uh, having a PhD, I don't know if you were really a disciple. I, I don't know if you were really actually doing what God commanded you to do and loving God and loving people. That's why it's so important that you're a part of a healthy church. So much of um, the, 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 the faculty and schools, like what church are you a part of? Who disciples you? What ministry are you leading? There's such a disconnection. Again, going back to the disorder, the discouragement in ministry, Things are not lining up. There needs to be accountability. There needs to be discipleship. There needs to be a vision of going out and getting more people, you know, winning the lost. <sighs> Let's pray. In closing, God knows you. You cannot hide from God. God created you. Always remember your identity is in him. God's thoughts for you are great. Quiet yourselves to hear those thoughts. Hate what God hates, but always guard your heart as we preach against the wickedness of our generation and then allow God to show you who you are because you never want to exalt yourself or think of yourself more highly than you ought to. God, we just thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you that in this chapter of Psalm 139, you reveal so much to us of who you are, so much to us of your glory, of your divinity, of your love for us, your nearness, your closeness, your purpose for our lives. I pray that every single student and every single person listening will never forget it. That every day we choose you, God. Every day we choose you. We choose to obey your word. Every day we say we want to love God and love people. Every day we choose to fulfill those two great commandments in our life. Every day we are mindful of you. Every day we remember, God, that when we're having dinner and our children are around the table, that you are present. Every day when we're at work, and it's frustrating or we're tired. God, you are in the details of our job because you want us to be the best on our job. Every day we have visions of, of being entrepreneurs and, and starting our business, God. I pray that you would remind us that you are in the details 
of that business, the details, God, of our future marriages, the details, God, of us passing our classes and the papers that we have to write and the tests that we're studying for, the details of us rearing our children, the fear and admonition of the Lord. You never leave us. Students, today, remember, God will never leave you. No matter what season you are in, whether you're on the mountaintop or the valley low, Jesus is near. He is close. He is not a man that he should lie. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Never get discouraged in the ministry. When you do, confess it. When you do, speak the word. Do not speak the lies of the enemy. Do not speak his thoughts. Speak the word of God. Learn. Learn how to intercede for your life in your prayer time. Learn how to hold on and stand on the word of God as the foundation for everything that he's called you to do. Speak God's promises over your life. Speak God's promises over your future ministry. Speak God's promises over your children, over your family, over your marriage, over your workplace, over the city. We speak God's promises over Chicago right now in the name of Jesus. God, we declare, we declare that you will be known. We declare that you will be known, God, to our city and to this generation. We will stand on the truths of Scripture that you created us, that you made us, that you are near, that you are eternal, that you are God and we are not. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. We just thank you so much for this time. I pray that you bless the rest of this day and the classes that they will have and any other task that they have to do. I pray that they will do it with the joy of the Lord, with the fruit of the Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Come on, give it up for Jesus.